2: I would repeat that to myself, if ye have faith, nothing is impossible unto ye. And I began to have a vision of a different life. And within one year, I went from making $35,000 a year to making $35,000 a month. And that was the radical shift, of course. And it opened my world up. And I realized I sort of figured out how to manifest my dreams internally. I asked myself hard questions. I said, do you know what you want? And I said, yeah, I know what I want. And then I said, are you blocked? Is there anything blocking you? Or is there a clear path? You can't think yourself out of the box. You have to get out of the box to find your way. Just in the smallest little grain of sand, I can see the world. You want to keep your eye on the prize, which is the state, the trance-like state, the flow state, and you fool yourself into playing. I would like to gather lay people from all over the world who are willing to use their innate and intrinsic powers to solve world problems.
0: Gabrielle Glancy is an award-winning poet, novelist, and essayist, a longtime teacher of writing and a college admissions guru. After experiencing a life-changing moment herself in which she went from being a classroom teacher to founding New Vision Learning, she knows what it takes to manifest your dreams and is committed to helping others find the same power inside themselves. As a teacher, educational consultant, and college counselor for nearly 30 years, Gabrielle Glancy has been in the business of helping students find and realize their dreams. Not only has she helped countless students find a way to harness their strengths, to overcome their challenges, to learn how to learn, but as director of New Vision Learning, she has helped thousands of students all over the Bay Area, New York City, Los Angeles, and across the US and all over the world, locate and get into the colleges of their dreams. Over the course of her career, she's worked in admissions three separate times at three different and highly respected, colleges and universities, she knows exactly what it takes to get in, and that helps her every day as she guides students through the college admissions process. She's taught at some of the most prestigious secondary schools, colleges, and universities in the world, and for the past several years, she's been a series editor of Best College Essays 2014, 2016, and 2018. She's also authored the book on writing college essays called The Art of the College Essay, which has been one of the best-selling books on the subject. Her newest book, Unstuck, which helps students free themselves from writer's block, is now out. Gabrielle Glancy has also been awarded Teacher of the Year by the National Association for Teachers of the Arts and won the European Council of Independent Schools Prize for Educational Writing. Her essay, The Best You Know How to Be, was published in their journal. Gabrielle is a widely published writer and her work has appeared in The New Yorker, The Paris Review, and The American Poetry Review. She's been featured on NPR and in USA Today, and she has dreams bigger than you'll ever know until you listen to this interview. What a wonderful interview this was with Gabrielle Glancy. I'm just beaming with excitement because the energy she puts out and the hope and optimism and happiness she exudes is just so wonderful. She has these incredibly unique ways of seeing the world. Oftentimes she will flip something on its head and in such an unexpected way, it has this remarkable result. And her journey itself is incredible. All the contents and experiences of her life are just really captivating to consume and understand and listen to. But I think her true beauty is in her expression. The level of honesty, That she's able to cultivate in her self-expression is just next level. She has the grandest ideas and I think she has a superpower in being able to express these ideas she has and this way of living and disposition she takes in the world in a way that attracts people to her leadership. And I think that's probably my personal single takeaway from this interview is I need to be more forthright in how i express myself in conversation with those that are maybe not experiencing some of these concepts that she is explaining or that i feel like i understand pretty well at this point being influenced by people like gabrielle i need to step up and say that i know these things i understand them deeply and here's a way in which you can better understand it and then let's go on a journey together and let's unlock what that sense of purpose is and let's shine a light down the pathway and let's make sure you get there. And just, she has this gift of getting people unstuck. And that's what her book is about. And that's like so much of what her philosophy is about is she's able to get people unstuck such an early stage of their life that she's transforming them for years and years and years. And all the people that they come into contact with, it's just incredibly beautiful. And I feel so blessed and honored to be able to have had this, this hour with Gabrielle and, to get to share this with you. I just know this is such a treat. So with that, please enjoy and soak in this wonderfully nourishing, beautiful, inspirational conversation with today's person of purpose, Gabrielle Glancy. Hello, Gabrielle. It's wonderful to meet you today while I'm in Thailand. You're over there in the West Coast in California, right? Yeah,
2: nice to be here.
0: Yes. So we got connected through a very long series of events. That's probably too much for a listener to uh, endure, but I'm really happy we got connected because reading over your bio and reading some of the essays and articles you've written, we have a lot of similarities in what we've done in our lives. I just recently got my master's degree in education. I have a podcast about these kind of topics that you teach some of your students about. um, And you seem to have a very holistic view Of work and life and inspiration. And I really appreciate that. And I'm excited to get to know you and hopefully develop a bit of a mentor role model in all of these areas. So thanks for coming on. Delighted. So I guess I just wanted to hop into something that maybe would um, elicit a story of yours, and then we could understand who you are as a person. And then we could start to go more into your philosophies and kind of how uh, your purpose has manifested throughout your life. I wanted to first understand what was that life-changing moment for you that you experienced that took you from simply being a classroom teacher to founding New Vision Learning and, you know, becoming an entrepreneur?
2: Yes, that's a great question. People often ask me that. I mean, for one thing, I think I was always an entrepreneur. I like to say that I had a business, my first business, I was four years old. And I sold stick balls back to the boys who hit them on my grandfather's roof for 10 cents less than cost. And I was four. So in a certain way, that was my first business. And I went on from there. I started playing tennis when I was 11. By the time I was 13, I was teaching tennis to adults. And so I was making money doing that. And I've always been very entrepreneurial, just kind of by nature. About five years before Facebook ever came, into the world. I invented something that I called Mm townsquare.com. And all the premises of Facebook, I had met numerous times Craig Newmark of Craigslist. I was living in San Francisco when the tech boom happened. My partner at the time helped found Wired Magazine, and I was kind of riding the wave of the technology boom. And went to these kind of networking things and met Craig Newmark, who was the founder of Craigslist. And I had this idea that I could see everybody, like spokes of the wheel, coming towards Craigslist for what they wanted without speaking to each other. So it would always be like the ball was thrown back to the center and out to the spokes and back to the center again. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to have some lateral connection between the people? who were trying to buy that bicycle so that they could connect about the other resources they had found in trying to buy that bicycle. So I saw that everybody on Craigslist was trying to buy that bicycle or that car or get a babysitter, but they weren't talking to each other. And I thought, oh, it would be fantastic if they talked to each other. And I saw it as a kind of like lateral connection, not just longitudinal, but you know, latitudinal. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to figure out how that would happen. And I had this idea. And I realized that, you know, it used to be in the old days, you know, you went and walked on the piazza after the plaza after dinner with your family or your girlfriend or your friends. And you ran in. I heard they're looking for a, a barista at the local cafe. And you ran into somebody who said, I heard there's a job and that's how you figured it out. Then came Craigslist. And I thought, yeah, but there's no way to run into anybody. How can you run into people? And so I invented townsquare.com, whereby you could have a profile, just like in Facebook, and you could run into people you know by virtue of the sort of six degrees of separation. I even had a feature where you could... Click on something that said you've been there. I've been to Starbucks in Ventura Mm -hmm. and leave a mist of yourself, like a, a vapor of yourself, which you can keep for an hour, two hours, 10 days, as long as you want. So anyone who goes then to Starbucks who allows their own mist to mingle with your mist can then find you so that there could be a virtual piazza. And I proposed this idea. This was in at least five years before Facebook came to be. I was helping the daughter of the guy who founded eBay, Bob Cagle. I was helping his daughter get into college. He eventually got into Williams, and I knew he was a venture capitalist and an entrepreneur himself, and had helped found eBay. And so I I went to Sand Hill Road and got his ear. And he was, you know, open to hearing me because I was helping his daughter get into college. And I said, Bob, I've got this idea. And I told him the story I just told you. I know Craig Newmark. I proposed it to him. The people are not speaking to each other. They're only going back to Craigslist. What would happen if they had a profile online and then that profile uh, could meet other people who went to their high school or went to their college and things like that. Mm -hmm. And Bob said to me, Oh my God, that's a brilliant idea. That's brilliant. How would you make money? And I was I hadn't even thought about revenue streams or anything. I was like, I have no idea how I would make money. And he said, go home and think about it. You need some way to make money. If you can't make money, we won't invest in it. Hmm. And I came back and I said, you know, I can't figure it out because I don't want to charge anybody to do this, you know, even a dollar. He said, why don't you sell ads? Which, of course, Facebook does, and yeah I said, no way, no way. It's like selling my soul, I'm not selling ads. And I realized, in just in terms of the sort of financial aspects and the capitalist motivations and the the venture capitalists and that kind of world, I felt over my head, like, I don't want to sell ads, I don't know how to make money at this, and I let it go. Hmm. and five years later came Facebook, and I was like, I invented that. But I called it townsquare.com and I refused to sell ads and it therefore didn't make any money. WhatsApp is the thing. WhatsApp, it's $1 to join and they're billionaires, those people, with that $1 to join WhatsApp. Anyway, that's sort of a long story. So I've always been an entrepreneur, but I never made any money. I just had a lot of ideas and tried to figure out how to make them into reality. And then one day in my 50s, I was about 50, really, I had just come back from Southeast Asia, Thailand, Indonesia, and um, Guatemala, and I adopted my son from Guatemala, and I was very, very ill for a good number of years, extremely ill. I wrote a book about it, already disturbed, please come in. And during the time when I recovered, that's a whole other story which I can tell you about, But during the time that I recovered from that illness, I was on the stationary bike reading books like Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, mm-hmm. The Law of Attraction, The Secret, The Slight Edge, books about how you get from where I was, which I sort of came from a, like a Jewish intellectual artistic family where nobody had any money. They were smart and interesting, but nobody had any money. And I was a teacher. My mother was a teacher, my an English teacher. My father was taught French at Brooklyn Tech, New York. So I just didn't have kind of a concept of how to earn money or that I could earn money. And I was teaching. I was also had worked in admissions at three different colleges and universities. But I never made any money. I mean, you know, what a teacher makes is just ridiculous. Yeah. So. I was on the stationary bike, and I had my power of positive thinking, which I was circling everything. And I'm not a religious person, but uh, Norman Vincent Peale quotes, I don't know, Jesus or somebody, the Gospels, if ye have faith, nothing is impossible unto ye. And it's all in like old biblical English. And I would repeat that to myself, if ye have faith, nothing is impossible unto ye. And I began to have a vision of a different life. It wasn't even like I knew the steps that I would need to take. I didn't. I opened, I blasted the ceiling (laughs) off of my previous really unconscious limitations. I simply blasted the ceiling off of them. And within one year, I went from making $35,000 a year to making $35,000 a month. Wow. And that was the radical shift, of course. And it opened my world up. And I realized I sort of figured out how to manifest my dreams internally, what the internal process was. Mm -hmm. And I trusted that if I could do it internally, I would be shown the steps I needed to take. And sure enough, I was. And once that happened, I realized that I could do that for other people. I could teach them how to do that. And that's what happened to me.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I love how open to transformation you are and then you receive it and then it just blossoms and blossoms and now it affects all these other people. So you went from 3,500 a month to 35,000 a month what was it that you were making the money from? Was it your writing program for kids to search inside themselves? Or was that a later adventure?
2: No, it was I realized that I was teaching and helping students on the side get into, you know, really good universities. I was helping them. I had been in admissions. I was doing what I did part time. Yeah, right Now I was doing it. Part-time. Maybe I had three or four students. And I realized that if I wanted to do this full time, I'd have to quit my day job. And I'd have to have faith that the students would come. And that's what I did. I quit my day job. I had like three clients and I figured out how many clients I would need. And I just did what I told you. I manifested how many clients I would need and then more than the amount of clients I would need, then 10 times more than the clients I would need, and then started hiring people and formed New Vision Learning because it became something that was bigger than just me. And then I started writing books about what I did and doing podcasts. And I was just recently did a TV thing. And, you know, I've just been kind of people have been asking me how I got where I am. And I've been answering. Wow.
0: You look so happy too as you share the story. (laughs) That's quite a blessing. What is it that makes you feel so much more happy or content right now than when you were on a $3,500 salary? I know that you're a person beyond just the money, obviously. So, what is it that clicked in you that made you understand you know, that this was a true power that you now had or a true blessing that you could run with?
2: Well, I would say, first of all, I wasn't unhappy when I was making 3500. I was like Dead Poets Society. I was like Robin Williams and Dead Poets. I was on the desks and having students build like Xanadu and Kubla Khan in the classroom. And I was Doing wild things and loving it. It's just I didn't have any money and I decided I wanted to adopt a child, then I couldn't afford it. I decided I wanted a house, but I couldn't afford it. So I was happy. I I wouldn't say I was unhappy when I wasn't making a lot of money. Not the money that's made me happy. I think I've been happy and I think I've always had, I don't even know what you would call it, but I'm very focused. I've always been positive. I think when I read The Power of Positive Thinking, It just kind of put into a book what I already had felt.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: The kind of central, the kind of linchpin or the golden key for me was really the power of attraction or the law of attraction Mm -hmm. and understanding that most people don't reach their goals because they're not clear on what their goals are and they have blocks to their goals. So I looked deeply within myself to see if I knew what my goals were and I did. And then I looked into myself to see if I had blocks to those goals, and I did.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I somehow felt that making money made you a superficial bad person, because I grew up in a very kind of socialist, communist, uh, radical, progressive family. And so I think I had something that was like, that it was sinful. There was something in it that was keeping me down. And I saw that I had a block. So I was clear on what my goals were and I removed the block. I worked on, I saw it first because I thought, I asked myself hard questions. I said, do you know what you want? And I said, yeah, I know what I want. And then I said, are you blocked? Is there anything blocking you or is there a clear path? And I couldn't put my finger on what it was for a while, but I said, yeah, something's blocking me. There's something blocking me inside. And I came to an understanding of what was blocking me. I think I got some help too. I remember asking, I have, you know, kind of counsel. I have some trusted people that I speak to who help me and said, I think I got a block with this. And it was a very simple thing. Once I identified it and somebody said to me, there's no merit in poverty on its own. There's no merit in poverty and there's no merit in richness on its own. You know, they're equal, but, Need to think that it's sinful. You can move that preconception aside and you can go for what you want. And yeah. I didn't like have a, a number in my mind or I never could have dreamed that what happened to me would happen to me. And frankly, I'm still doing it. I have more goals, more dreams. And sometimes, you know, if something goes sour or south for me, I... Reenact in a way that first manifestation or transformation, and I just get super clear what I want. I leave behind all the floatsome and jetsome of anxiety and doubts and all of that.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Stay clear on what it is I want, and you know, lo and behold, I never know how it's going to happen. I don't try to figure it out, I don't go, What's my next step? You know, oh, I don't know what to do. I just stay clear and I know the next step will present itself. And it does 100% of the time.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. We're two years into People of Purpose podcast and this law of attraction concept comes up more than half the time on these interviews. And it's real. Like you focus on what you want. You leave behind what you don't want anymore. I like that raw honesty you have at um, really going after your goals without like the blocks in the way. And then you just go for it. And I mean, what you're finding is this amazing level of trust and faith and contentedness that that next step is going to present itself to you. And that anxiety and doubt don't really have a lot of purpose as you're going towards that pinnacle of purpose that you know that can be destined if you keep following the path. It's, it's really wonderful how you expressed that. Thank you very much for that. I wanted to know what power does writing itself have in finding this power inside ourselves to manifest our dreams?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think my job involves getting students into a sort of state, which I sometimes call the trance-like state, Mm -hmm. where they can write. It's very similar to the state I needed to get into, where I keep my goals in mind and I leave everything else behind. I kind of get Zone in a way. And it's like a non conscious place of, I don't even know what to call it, the zone. You know, it's funny because I can't remember if I was telling you, or I know no, I don't. Yeah, I, I said I started playing tennis when I was 11. So I became a very, very good tennis player very fast. I had like some sort of superpower. <laughs> I realized recently because I did my DNA that I have, well, they told me that I have the genes for a power elite athlete that, I don't know, 0.001% of the world's population has. I didn't know that at the time. I just took up tennis because this little boy I liked was playing tennis and I wanted to play with him and eventually became very, very good at it. But what happened in my tennis career, I mean, I played, you know, I competed, I played competitively, is that I had this jolt. Like I would go and hit a forehand and all of a sudden, Something would snap and sometimes the racket flew out of my hands or the ball would tip the end of the metal part and it would fly over the fence. Every 40 shots or so, there would be like this crazy uncontrollable jolt that I would have. And at the time, because I was 13, 14, 15, playing competitively, playing for a team, it's getting the living daylights out of me. I basically let it psych me out. You know, I got psyched out by the jolt. And it took a while for me to figure out, well, the truth is in my tennis career, I never figured it out. It's only later looking back that I understand it. But somebody gave me the book called The Inner Game of Tennis. And in The Inner Game of Tennis, he speaks about, quote, the trans-like state. And this is 50 years ago that he wrote the book. Or I think he came out in 74. I started playing competitive tennis in like 75 And the book had come out one year before. And I read it when I was like 13 or 14 or something like that. And he speaks about exactly what I'm talking about. The inner game of tennis, like the inner game of writing, like the inner game of being a successful entrepreneur. It's inner. It's an inner game. And he speaks about the zone or the state or what later has come to be called peak experience. Right.
0: Flow states
2: flow states. And what I do in my work is I help students get into that state by accident through play often. And then I help them identify that they're there. How does that feel? What did you feel like when you were writing that? Can you go back there inside yourself to that place, which is what I do to manifest. I know what it feels like now to blast the seal off to have a clear vision, to be unblocked, to keep in mind what I want to do. I know how to do that now because I return to it. It's a groove even inside me. So I help students first accidentally fall into the luge path, you know, and then I say, do you see where you are? Do you see that you're gliding really fast and it's, there's no effort? Yes. Can you feel that in you? Yes. Okay. Let's see if you can return to that now when I ask you blah, blah, blah question. So basically, I think you asked me the reverse question, which is, does writing help me do manifest my dreams? And my answer to the question is, I use whatever has helped me manifest my dreams in teaching students how to write.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's a cool little reversal there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't say writing helps me manifest my dreams, although now I've become a kind of writing guru, so it's the luge track that I'm making money at at the moment. But I have other
1: dreams too.
0: <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I read in one of your essays that you feel more like a shaman than a counselor or a writing coach. Like why do you use the word shaman?
2: Well, I think it's a spiritual and in quotations, spiritual process that I'm taking students through. It's certainly more than it is an artistic per se, or logistic, or mechanical, or it's, it's a process of inner freedom, transformation. And in that sense, I midwife that process for my students. I'm with them. You can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But I think they get a kind of contact high from me too, where, you know, I don't know if you feel it, but I think they kind of get this feeling like anything is possible. And they generate, maybe just from my own frothy nature, a certain sort of energy that gets generated. And then I help them, you know, I midwife that process so that they can give birth to their own you know, pieces of work that will get them where they need to go.
0: Yeah, I love these metaphors you're using, like midwife and luge, like contact high. Like these are really tangible ways to understand these very esoteric, abstract things that you're able to accomplish with others. And it's really cool that you can kind of pinpoint what's happening and then call attention to it as it's happening. Like you said, you you put students into a state of play. You call attention to the, that they're in this state. You help them to digest that and process it. And then the magic comes out in their writing. They're able to express from their heart and then ultimately get into these dream schools and shape themselves in the person that they need to be. That must be an incredibly rewarding process for you.
2: And you know, I've been doing it long enough that people now have kids they're sending to me. I got them into Harvard. I got them into Stanford, Brown, wherever and they're sending their 17-year-olds to me. They worked with me, and now they're sending their kids to me. So it's incredibly rewarding. You know, It's beautiful because it's not really about where they get in, per se. Certainly for their parents, it's often about where they get in, and if they really want something, then I help them manifest it. But in a way, it's more about the process of manifesting itself, that can be applied for the rest of their lives. It's not just about getting into college, you know? So I often help kids get into graduate school or medical school or law school. And then they ask me to help their kids get into college. And sometimes they just call on me in life-changing moments in moments of crossroads in their lives to ask me what I would do or how they get unstuck.
0: Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from living out your purpose? I know a bad accident, breakups, and head injuries have plagued my path of purpose. The good news is that People of Purpose has now partnered with BetterHelp, an online counseling platform that will assess your needs from exactly where you are and match you with your very own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. I know that when we are purposefully and passionately pursuing our visions, it can be so hard to take the big action you need for yourself. That's why I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp is available worldwide from the comfort and ease of your smartphone. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, call or video chat as often as you need. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses Without needing to be in one single city or drive and sit in an uncomfortable waiting room just to have a 30 minute conversation. These conversations have the power to literally change your life. We need to make sure we're having them. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. For me, the sign up process was so thorough and personalized to exactly what I needed. Within 15 minutes, I was done, and the very next day, I was paired with a counselor with the pedigree to help me think through exactly the questions I have at this stage in my life. Since I've met my premarital Christian counselor, Colleen, I've had enormous insights on where and how to create better boundaries, and even had a session with my fiancé while she's in Thailand and I'm in California. It's amazing how powerful and accessible counseling is today with the power of the Internet. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Whether you need professional coaching for your business, help overcoming a trauma, or just need a thought partner who would walk through a rocky part of a road with you, BetterHelp wants to help you start living a happier life today. People of Purpose listeners get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose. That's betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional.
2: You know, I wrote a book called Unstuck about that very idea. Yeah. So, you know, I think people often ask me, I, I feel stuck. I, I can't figure out whether I should go to law school or go to medical school. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting too, because I did not prepare for this moment at all. And I trusted that when we were here, I would find the luge of this moment and I would glide down it. and. In a way, I don't, didn't want to make myself nervous. I didn't want to give myself preconceptions or like a script. I know how to get in there. I know what to do. So I trusted that I never met you before. I don't know what you're going to ask me. It doesn't matter. I can jump on my, you know, sled, whatever it's called, and, and do it. Yeah. And probably do it better. If I don't prepare for it,
0: exactly, and same for me, like I never would have manifested you coming into my life had I not said yes to this crazy podcast idea and then said yes to people's suggestions and referrals and so on my side too, there's a similar manifestation that's going on that's not just from what me it's it's trusting what's what's around me, it's allowing the thing to come in and yeah, I mean, there's a reason we're meeting it's really cool,
2: totally, I mean, as I'm talking to you too, I feel like. Well, you have what I'm talking about, but I could have I could imagine having met you when you were twelve, you know, and mm-hmm. I probably could have foreseen something of what you're doing. Like I probably would have foreseen something and would have been able to ask you enough questions as you're asking me for you to reveal things that would make me say to you, you know, one day I think you're gonna be asking other people questions. And, you know, because I can feel it as we speak as well.
0: Cool. Yeah, I love it. And I think what you're saying about asking questions to get to something at a much younger, earlier stage for people, someone in your role in someone's life is so important and powerful. If you can get people unstuck before they're severely stuck, just through a series of questions where you're tapping into their true inner nature, their heart, their sense of purpose, you can avoid years and years of suffering. That's a priceless service <laughs> to offer.
2: <laughs> I think so too. I mean, and at this point in my career, you know, I'm not cheap. So, and I often think to myself, just what you said, I think, well, where else is anybody going to get this? Right. Like Do you just help people write essays? Because we met somebody who's half your price and they could help. And I say, you know, You can go to anyone else you want. There's thousands now because it's become a very popular thing. And there's like PrepScholar.com and Ivy West and Ivy wise and admissions consulting and blah, blah, blah. There's like a million people. And I'm amazed that with those millions of people and all the sort of companies now that people are still coming to me. I know that it's something different, completely something different that I offer.
0: So I noticed like, your book is called Unstuck. It's about helping people get unstuck back on their path. What's like a universal takeaway that you could convey in a minute or so on the podcast for someone listening that does feel stuck? I remember I felt stuck in certain occasions and there, it's cloudy. It's hard to see your way through. There's, the fog is dense. What's one little thing you can do to help people find that light forward?
2: Well, I would say that you can't think yourself out of the box. Mm. You have to get out of the box to find your way. So you can't think yourself out of it. So once you're like agonizing, you're, you know, you're anxious, you're trying to get out of it, you notice you're stuck, it makes you nervous. I would just try not to think yourself out of it, but to step aside and start doing something that's why I think I was on the stationary bike. So I actually feel like not only did I see something different because my body was moving. So yoga, biking, music, dance, sports, doesn't matter. I think getting the body moving helps you get out of the mind.
1: Mm-hmm. For one
2: and then I think what happens is if you can almost trick yourself into, I mean, for me, I had a lot of these insights that I'm telling you about on the stationary bike, right? Yeah. I feel like I almost like biked it into my muscles. I kind of bypassed my brain and I peddled it into my being.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like I almost could put my brain aside, even though I was reading, because I was reading the power of positive thinking, law of attraction, everything, right? I was reading, so that's in the mind. but. Somehow I was biking at the same time and I feel like I kind of peddled it into my being.
1: Wow. So
2: I think the thinking mind is not the way out. Mm-hmm. So you've got to find it another way. You gotta do it. You can't, what do they say? If you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, that's the definition of insanity. Yeah. So you have to do something different to get different results. And for me, you leave the problem there and go out and shoot some hoops, take a swim, take a walk in nature, play with your dog, take a shower. It will come to you yeah, if you let it.
0: Wow, I love that answer. That's so true. Yeah, so I was fortunate enough, the first time I lived in Thailand, after I finished teaching at the school, I had 15 months where I was able to kind of go all over Southeast Asia. I did a 10-day meditation course. I went to India for a month. And got yoga teacher certified, and this concept of like your inner knowing, your intuition—that higher self—is always going to show you those answers more than your thinking. Thinking is such like a first or second stage process; it's so surface level. It's oriented towards you know what's immediate, here and now. Versus, you have this other self in you that some argue is thousands of years old that does know your way forward. And it's just so powerful to tap into that. How do you get people to tap into that? Do you have that power just in a simple conversation to do it? Or does it take like this real organized scenario where kids are trying to go into school and you're trying to work with them over several months and period of time? How do you have that power on a daily basis with people to snap them into that feeling of knowingness inside? I want that.
2: (laughs) I think you probably have it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing this. I mean, they don't often, I work with 16, 17, 18-year-olds. They don't, everyone has it. So you're absolutely right. There's no one who doesn't have it. So I think I just listen really, really deeply because I have it so I can intuit. And I also have a very holographic mind. So in just the one grain of sand, I can see I don't know. That's why I called my company New Vision. For some reason, just in the smallest little grain of sand, I can see a world. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take me much to ask a, a few questions. And then what happens is when they hear themselves speaking and they hear what they answer, I just hold up a mirror and say, that's what I'm saying. Like, if I met you when you were 12 and started asking you questions, I bet I could have seen this. And I would have said, you like to know people's stories, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, I really like to know people's stories. Yeah, <laughs> really interested in, I don't know, because I didn't know you, but that's what I can do is that I listen really deeply, and all I do is hold up a mirror and say, well, it seems like what you said is, you know, I had a student recently whose dad was a Pakistani. Dad, dad was an engineer. They wanted a very strict upbringing, wanted him to be an engineer, super smart kid. Kid loves acting. Yeah. And we picked like 12 schools with his parents, MIT, Caltech, that he was going to apply to. And we spent a year, you know, trying to write essays. And and one day I said to him, Sultan, I don't think you want to be an engineer. And he laughed. He said, no, I really don't want to be an engineer. <laughs> and I said, why are you applying to engineering school? said, my parents want me to be an engineer. And I said, tell me a little bit about when you said you're a meticulous critic of video. Can you tell me a little bit? You said that, what do you mean? And then he started telling me about Dark Knight and that Batman movie and all, what his critique of it was. And I don't know, in the end, just listening to him, by the end of that session, he changed the whole list of schools. And I said, well, what would happen if we had schools that you could both do engineering and acting or film. And then he spoke to his parents and we decided to change his list completely. So he has like 12 new schools on his list and he was able to free himself and really, really write. And maybe he'll become an engineer. Maybe he'll become an actor. I don't know, but it's just from listening, you know, and it's a process. Does it happen the first session? Not necessarily. Right. I can tell a lot the first session.
1: But
2: sometimes it's a process, too.
0: Yeah. And that's another layer to work through for people is the power of parents and societal pressures and culture that you come from. I think you really nailed that issue that a lot of people face. Is There's sometimes, I think, a feeling in people that they have a lack of agency over their own life, that it's controlled by all these bigger forces than, than they have the ability to step in the way of, such as like your parents saying you need to be an engineer, that can be a hard bridge for people to cross. How do you recommend people think about having those conversations and, and making those commitments that could potentially have these really risky results, like your parents disowning you, for example, or something like that?
2: It rarely comes to that degree of, you know, Right. <laughs> there are times when I've advised people, I've helped them, you know, they've been students of mine, or I've helped them write you know, figure out college, and they come out to me in the process of my working with them. And sometimes my advice is not go tell your parents today. You know, sometimes my advice, as far as that kind of risk goes, depends, you know, it's not like I say, great, announce it to the world and you know, you'll get kicked out of your house and be living on the street. You know, I mean, <laughs> you have to be smart in how in, and how and you know judicious. I think in the risks you advise people to take. In my business, though, it's not usually that so much as just expression, inner expression. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the list of schools. You know, aren't the isn't the list that a student is going to end up with, but mostly. It's helping them find their inner voice, really, to speak about themselves and to figure out what they want.
1: Right.
0: Right. That makes sense. So on the opposite of that, if you have writer's block, what does that say about your clarity towards purpose? Is there a greater meaning to having this writer's block that your self-expression is stifled? Or is that just a necessary part of the process of uncovering what your true self-expression is?
2: Well, I mean, I had a severe writer's block. I was pre med because of it. I almost became a doctor because my writer's block was so intense. Wow. What I wanted most was to be a writer. And I was a B English student because I could crank out mediocre essays. And I was top of my pre med class, one, number one in a class of 250 pre med students. Wow. And this was 40 years ago, and I was a woman. So I was really encouraged to be a doctor because it was unusual and I was getting offers from, you know, very prestigious medical schools to apply to. And it was a very, very difficult decision for me to not go to medical school to right. decline those off. And it was because I had writer's block. So writer's block is a given of writing. It's kind of, you just don't let it worry you like the jolt. What I realized about my tennis game is simply that I have a jolt. When I take my vitamin C in the morning, My son has to walk behind me picking them up because it could happen that I'll have a jolt with my vitamin C in my hand and all the capsules fall on the floor. The thing flies out of my hand and we have to go pick them up. So many, many years later, 50 years later, I still have a jolt. Hmm. If I knew what I, now, you know, if I knew he's going to be gobs, that'll throw them off because I can't stop the jolt. So I might as well accept it and use it to my advantage. Same with writer's block. You can't stop writer's block. Writer's block, it's just natural to have writer's block because there's something that happens. There's a kind of translation that has to happen between your thoughts. And it's almost like you have a very wide thing that has to go through a narrow tube. Of course, there's going to be traffic jams.
1: Hmm. But what
2: you want to do is not let yourself be made nervous by those traffic jams. I would expect you're going to have moments like that. You want to keep your eye on the prize, which is the state, the trance-like state, the flow state. Mm -hmm. You keep your eye on the prize, and you fool yourself into playing. So I often have students free write. I like to say, write first, think later. So they say, I don't know what I'm going to write. I don't have a topic. And by the way, you know, of course, when I wrote my books, I did research on competitors on all the other books out there, especially, you know, the very well-known books, which I won't name at the moment, but I read them all. None of them say what I'm saying. None of them. And if you read them, you'll get more stuck. It would be like sticking your head in the toilet. I mean, it's really going to get you more stuck because nobody addresses the fact that you're going to always have some writer's block because you're trying to get a big thing into a small, you know, tube. Right. And that you can't think your way out of it. So you can't go, you know... Actually, a hundred percent of everybody but me says you need a topic before you start writing. Of course you would think you do. How can you start writing on something? I gave a talk recently. I was in an auditorium and there was a whiteboard that was already in the auditorium when I got in there. And on the whiteboard there were the words grass, bunny, and hamster. At one point, spontaneous I turned to the audience and I was talking about just what I'm telling you. And I said, I asked my students to write first and think later. What do you mean? They raised their hands. I said, well, for example, let's pick one word that's on the board. We voted on hamster. And I said, okay, everybody in the audience, I handed out index cards, which I bring with me and pens. And I said, I want everybody to, and I taught them basically how to free write. I said, just write whatever stream of consciousness, whatever comes to your mind about hamster. And then everybody laughed and they squirmed because writing is hard. They got scared. Oh, what are we going to do? But of course, it's so utterly ridiculous that it freed them right there. Like, we're all going to write on hamster, right? So everybody wrote on hamster. And I said, good, anybody want to volunteer? And there were parents there too, parents and students. So one guy raises his hand and he said, oh, I'd like to volunteer. Okay. So he read his little index card on hamster about how they had a hamster. He bought it for his son and the hamster got caught in the treadmill. And its neck was in the treadmill and it was trying to scrambling to get out. And right. And I was like, started asking questions. What do you do for a living? What are your working hours? What's the one thing you would change if you could change anything? So it turns out the guy feels like he's got his neck stuck in a treadmill. Is that an accident? No, of course not. Everything is generated from within. It doesn't matter what you write about. You can write about hamsters. Sometimes I pick a book off the shelf. I open it and I say, whatever comes, the first sentence, and this sentence is, so does that make me me? That was the sentence I read. Does that make me me? I could have read the sentence, this became my world, or the sentence, sand covering little pesky crabs. These are sentences I'm reading from the book. The fact of the matter is, If you write on any of those random sentences, your writing will be different from mine and your writing will reveal to you what's deepest inside you. Let's write on hamsters or specifically, and whatever comes out is going to be significant one way or another. So I say, write first, think later.
0: Wow. I love that. That's so cool. And that's one of the
2: ways to get around it.
0: Yeah, you really turn that on its head too. (laughs) Yeah and and you're working with the parents too which is not the intended audience or at least originally they don't necessarily think that. It really shows that we all have you know these dreams inside of us that are being unrealized or that we're stuck in some way. What, What you have is a superpower that extends way beyond just the medium you're working in which is getting kids into college and that's that's incredible. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that helps you grow on your path to purpose? The People of Purpose newsletter, or POP for short, is an email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life to help you more purposefully pursue your purpose. It will include a short story, some words of wisdom to help you be more purposeful during your day, and an update on how the last guest has inspired me and how they can inspire you too. So take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com, letting us know you would like to receive the POP newsletter. Just include People of Purpose newsletter in the subject header and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. So I want to also talk about like, um, all of these, your career connections with parenting and notice that you have this really unique situation regarding parenting. Like you've adopted a child from Guatemala and I think, is it true? Like you're, are you a single parent Yeah, raising a child? Yes. Yeah. So how do you infuse this teaching, writing, entrepreneurial, like spirit to knowledge with the law of attraction, the luge, how does that make its way into <laughs> parenting? Like. Sometimes I think the world would be a much better place if we were all parented, like at a young age, one, two, three years old, to think in the way that you have described to us that the prize is that inner feeling, that peak state, that flow state. I was never taught that until I figured it out on my own at like 25, 26, 27 years old. And mentors helped me figure it out. But what if we were able to do that at one, two, three years old? Like, I want to know how you're infusing that wisdom into your parenting.
2: Well, let me just say first, I feel very humble in relation to parenting. It's the hardest job I've ever had, times a billion. It's really, really challenging. And I have a wonderful, beautiful son. But it's 24-7. I'm the only one to make boundaries and cuddle at the same time. And it's really hard work. So let me just say that. I hope I'm a good parent, but I think it's the thing I'm least confident in, in a way because there's no manual and it's changing every minute and I have a teenager now so that's really really a challenge. I would say though my son is super creative and the power of association I have helped him develop. Like this makes me think of this makes me think of that. Look at that. What does that look like? Oh my god, that looks like a kite. What does that kite look like? That looks like that, you know. From a very young age I encouraged his power of association and creativity. And he's a super creative, I think everyone is. So, you know, maybe I was successful in not squelching his natural creativity and perhaps even in bringing it out more. He watches me. He's a not as wild a person as I am. Like I'm very risk-taking and he always says like, you know, I have this wild curly hair that's just like crazy. And He's always saying, you know, you're like your hair. You're just, I think he admires me. Sometimes he gets scared because I'm very playful and sometimes risk-taking. Let's, oh, I think we can drive down here. No, no, mama. I don't think we should. Yeah, let's drive down this road. No, it's dark. I don't think we should. I think it's going to be okay. You know, so he has to kind of go along with me somewhat, I think. And sometimes I, I say to him, you know, you have great. You have a kind of wild stallion for a mom, and he knows that, I think. Sometimes keeps me on the straight and narrow. He says, like, let's not jaywalk. Come on, there's a crosswalk. Come on, mamos, let's walk in the crosswalk, you know, because I might not walk in the crosswalk. I'm a little bit wilder than that at times. So we teach each other a lot, I think. I've learned a lot from him, and I'm humbled every single day, every day there's a new challenge that's difficult. It's beautiful and it's difficult. There's nothing I've done in my life that is as difficult as parenting.
0: Yeah. And how does parenting inspire you? What are those ways you've grown through parenting? Just learning humility, seeing another perspective on a daily basis. What is it that inspires you in the process of parenting?
2: Well, I think, you know, as parents, you think you know more because, you know, I'm 47 years older than my son. I got him very late in life after having four miscarriages and losing five babies in all I've decided to adopt. And so I was really old by the time I adopted him. And I think it's great because I see all the time that what I don't know and what he knows better. And he's got a lot more patience than me. I learn from him all the time, actually. And it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. But sometimes it's so challenging when he gives me attitude, which is like on a daily basis. Right. It's so challenging. And I'm very sensitive. The same sensitivity that I have to listening carefully and hearing the tones and the feelings, when he's giving me attitude, it's like, oh, I hear that. That's not nice what you just said. He said, I didn't say anything wrong. It's how you said it that's got attitude. You know what I mean? It's hard. It's hard.
0: Hmm. But I'm sure you're... Uh you're encouraging and cultivating his truest expression. And sometimes the truest expression is ugly in that moment. And you know that and you have to be resilient enough to be accepting of that and to like, glean little bits of wisdom from it and still choose each other and choose to cooperate in this dynamic you guys are stuck with. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds really beautiful. I'm really excited for the day I can become a parent. I'm sure you're doing a wonderful job.
2: No, I don't know. I hope so.
0: I also noticed that in the parenting realm, you also turn things like on its head and you become more of the child who's wandering around and crossing the streets and not obeying the rules and your (laughs) child is learning how to follow the straight narrow path. It's such a counterintuitive way to have your child end up being someone that does like fit into society really, really well which is a lot of goals for parents. It is. It's really interesting how you accomplish that.
2: Yeah, and he does. He's very well-adjusted, well-liked, and a sort of quiet leader. And he's very strong, but in a kind of not as he's a Virgo. He's, he's a little bit of kind of more cautious and a little quieter than I am. But yeah, he's great. He's going to do great things, I think, in the world. He's a very kind person, too.
0: Nice. So I saw in the list of questions that you had sent me and so far in the interview, you've alluded that you have big plans for your future, that you still want to manifest new grand things. I want to hear what those are. What are some of those future goals or future orientations that you have right now?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because I was waiting for you to ask me that. I'm very excited to speak about it. I do. I do have another dream and I'm sure I'll have more and more, but I would like to use the way that I'm speaking about sort of performance and getting into the flow. I would like to gather lay people from all over the world, from the Maasai tribe, from China, from Mongolia, from Venezuela, lay people, farmers, garbage men, research scientists, electricians, writers, whatever, into one room in round tables to give them information, the very basic rudimentary information they would need to understand a problem, and have them in a non-competitive environment, meaning that they're not competing with another university. They can share their knowledge freely, that they don't have preconceptions about how to cure cancer. They don't have preconceptions about carbon emissions. They don't have preconceptions about anything because they don't even really know about it them the basics that they need to know okay what happens is cars release this thing this thing goes into the air the air kills the ozone the ozone protects the atmosphere and now what are we going to do and you tell people from all over the world who have no preconceptions no previous knowledge non-hierarchical thinking who are willing to use their innate and intrinsic powers To solve world problems. And I bought a domain called sharethatthought.com. And the idea would be to have kind of global, democratic, non hierarchical, non competitive lay people gathered to solve world problems. Now, how I would do this, I don't know exactly. And how I would make money at it so that it could exist, my mind doesn't quite work like that. But I feel like it would be a question of getting all those people either into the flow themselves or they're already there because they're in the field all day and they're not overpowered by Western thinking or their thinking mind or whatever, or if they are to free them somehow so that the optimal, like their superpowers can come out collaboratively to solve world problems.
0: I love that. I think that's a genius idea. That would be fantastic to see that take place.
2: I feel that too.
0: One curiosity I have is as you, someone who's gathering them, and most likely like you're their shaman in a sense, in this case, what is that mutual collaborative exercise that will allow all people to tap into the desired state, regardless if they come from a thinking background or a very intuitive background or the very shy or they're very outgoing. What is that one exercise or practice that would bring everyone into that desired collaborative state that you're searching for?
2: Well, I would guess we would have to gather people. So there would have to be some sort of thing put out, you know, some sort of call for people to come. I mean, when I first thought about it, I thought about going into villages And saying to somebody, who is the wise person in your village, even if that person's four years old? Like, who is the wise man or the wise woman of your village? Who is the shaman of your village? Who possesses this knowledge without, you know, education or whatever? But I think I would rather do it on a bigger scale than that, than just get shamans of the world together, even if they don't know they're shamans and other people think they are. And I think it would be how it's expressed, how the call, and the call, of course, not just how it's expressed in writing or in verbal, but the call that I suppose it would be like the shofar, it would be like a call, a universal global call that I would have to begin to try to manifest to pull towards me and to pull towards the vortex of this idea, the right people. And I mean, I haven't thought practically how I would do it. But if I did it the way I do everything else, I would do a silent, internal whirling dervish call that would call to the table, the people who would need to come to it. And I would then know how to express it in writing in a way that the right people, it would self-select to some degree and the right people would come.
0: What is this rolling dervish internal call? That's silent. What is that?
2: I recently spoke to like a counselor. I don't know what you would call a coach. And I was telling her about something and she said, Well, when you feel blah, 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 overwhelmed by blah, 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 focus on an object that's in the mid-distance. Focus on that object. And she was explaining how somehow the anxiety or the difficulty would fall away. And I completely understood what she meant. Because when I manifest, I do this thing. My eyes kind of go back and forth. It's almost like EMDR that I do Mm -hmm. consciously. My eyes kind of go back and forth and back and forth. I think I'm integrating unconsciously left and right brain or something. It's instantaneous. So I don't repeat it. I don't do it for long and I don't repeat it. I only do it when I'm ready for the result because it usually happens really, really fast. Mm. So, for example... You know, if I, yeah, I mean, let's say I feel like it's my slow season and I'm needing clients, right? I have to really ask myself, are you ready now or you still want to work on your book? Because if I say, okay, I'm ready now, and I try to manifest it and I manifest it, I do what I'm telling you, my whirling dervish kind of thing, the phone rings. So if I want to work on my book and I don't want to see clients for a month, I can't do that thing where I manifest because I'm going to get clients. It's Mm -hmm. like, you have to be careful what you ask for. I have to be careful what I ask for. It's sacred. And I don't do what I'm telling you about unless I want it. I'm unblocked and I'm ready to have it. In every cell in my body, I'm ready to have it. And then I do it. And then it happens.
0: So what's preventing you from doing it right now for this uh, massive future goal that you have?
2: I'm not there yet. I'm still doing other things. I'll know when it's time and when it's time, I'll go into that gear and that'll be that. I mean, mm-hmm. that'll be it.
0: Yeah. You have this ability to hold on to that seed of inspiration, that clarity that you've had. And you don't need to run right to it and jump into it and abandon your other half baked, you know, tasks. You hold on to it and then you go in with commitment. Cause I do find that this is something I really relate to is I get lots of ideas of inspiration, lots of people that want to do some partnership, kind of collaborative, really cool, world-changing thing together. But it's really hard to find people and finding myself the ability to commit to full action and all those unanticipated aspects of full action, all that return, like you said, that phone calls coming and that new client's coming and all of those demands related to that client, their referrals. Like you're saying yes to so much when you say yes. So what you just said is really, I've really spoken to my life to understand that when you have a really grand vision and grand dream, you need to be able to be ready to commit to it in the moment. And if you're not, then hold on to it for a while because you'll be ready for it when you're ready for it.
2: And you have to be honest with yourself about that. So you have to sort of say, am I ready for that now? No, I'm not. Okay. That's okay. And you don't even need to know why. You said, why aren't you doing now?" I don't know. I'm doing other things. But I know that if I'm ready for it, I know that I will open up to that and that'll happen. I know that now I've been interviewed a lot, you know, with the new book coming out and just recently, and a lot of people have asked me, what's your next dream? And every time I speak about it, you know, everybody's been very interested in it and it makes it a little bit more real, but I haven't been ready yet. I'm not ready. You know, it was like when I was on the stationary bike, I finally knew what I wanted. Then I saw a block. So I got the block out of the way, and then I went for it. Now, I know what I want. I don't feel blocked. I'm doing something else. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that You know, until the time comes when, and I'll know it. I'll know when the time is. I'll I'll absolutely know it. I'll start.
0: How do you think about the closure of a chapter? That seems to be a necessary component to be ready to jump in is You've got to close that previous thing that you're doing. Is that clear when the closure is there? Or is it a conscious decision that now this is the closure? Because you're always going to have more people wanting to be your client. And, you know, how do you, how do you assess when you're ready for closure?
2: Well, you know, I can't tell you with my business because it's, I'm not there. So it would be preemptive and not honest. I don't know the answer to that. I just ended a relationship, and it was very painful to end it. And I felt it in my body, like my body could not go one step further. Wow. My body would not let me. And I trusted that, and I got out of the relationship. It was very painful. But I think that that's how I would know. I I think my body can't go one step further doing whatever. Or I'll see a few clients keep doing what I'm doing, see some clients and then do the other thing until such time as I'm too busy doing the other.
1: Yeah.
2: I want to train people also. So I would love to train people to do what I do so that I can pass it on. You know, I wrote the book so that students can read it. And then the next thing is to teach people how to do what I do so that I'm not the only one
1: doing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And to sustain some sort of like wealth generation. And step out of the business, you got to train people to do that. Yeah, that's cool. Now, what is this stuff you had me asking you about? How did you come into your present incarnation? I have no idea what I'm asking this for, but you told me to ask it. So what's this question about?
2: I think I answered it already. It's just what I told you about being on the stationary bike. And that's how I came to be Mm. who I am, you know? Okay. Yeah. I think you asked me really, like another <laughs> version of what you've asked.
0: Yeah. Oh, this has been a really fascinating conversation for me. You've really opened up a lot of new grooves that I could see myself losing down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially if, like, you're, I mean, I'm envious of these 16, 17 year old students that get to spend a year with you cultivating their inner voice. Like, these people have to have their lives so transformed. I don't know if they can draw the lineage back to when they were 16, but when they're 35 and they're still manifesting their dreams, I'm sure you were one of the main influences that planted those original seeds. Do people come to you and tell you that? Yes, yes,
2: they do. So I was going to say since Facebook, people have been able to find me quite easily just by Googling me or Facebooking me, friending me on Facebook. And yes, I've had a lot, a lot of Students or people I've worked with or known say to me, even things like, I hear your voice 40 years ago, but I still hear your voice saying, whatever, you can do it, or whatever it is. They actually say, like, I hear your voice. I hear the timbre of your voice, the rhythm, the cadence of your speech when I think about blah, blah, blah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, in the hour of getting to know you, I can see how well you search for your own inner truth of expression. Before you speak, you pause maybe a second or two longer than most people would. And you're choosing these really precise words to label your emotions and your feelings. And you're using these tangible metaphors to help us to understand what you're saying. It's really hard to express what you're saying. I find it to be really hard. And I'm just now coming into a more full understanding of some of these concepts like law of attraction, power of positivity, those kind of things. But it's still, I'm a little fearful of expressing it more publicly because it can sound really frou-frou or like, you know, out there. And I want to be like, you know, accepted. And I think you have the ability to like go way beyond that. You're way more than just accepted. You are seen as someone that people want to lean into more and, they're asking for you to transform their lives. And yeah, I feel like really challenged by you in that. How our conversation has challenged me to become more like you in that sense. I want to be someone that can step into people's lives and really help them to develop that sense of purpose and commit themselves to a drive to it and it to become from an honest place within. And it takes being a leader with yourself first to be able to, to head that direction. So I'm sure there's a lot of positive impacts of this conversation just on me as this host in this podcast. Thank you very much.
2: You're welcome. It's been a great pleasure.
0: Do you have anything that you want to draw people towards um, that are listening?
2: I mean, you know, my book just came out, Unstuck, and it's got a lot of what I've said and the stories of my life, and how I came to to be what I am, and how I help people unstick themselves, help them get unstuck. I just would say to people, get the book unstuck and get unstuck. It's just quite a beautiful little book. That's really all I would say.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to read it. I really enjoyed reading all your online essays and articles I was able to find. You have, I mean, it's pretty clear in your verbal expression, but your writing is, is really beautiful and really easy to follow along with and is captivating. I remember I think I was reading it like too late, like it was like after midnight, and I was like, I'll just research her for a good 15 minutes and get ready for bed. And then it was like an hour and a half later, I'm still reading what she's saying on the internet.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear
0: it. <laughs> the content of your life is interesting, obviously, like all these different roles and, and mediums you find yourself in career wise. But I think you have a deeper level that's universally captivating that taps into something. That's uh, not dependent on what we're doing for our living, but it's more of this human quality we have that we're searching for: how to live a a thriving life, how to live a true and honest life, how to live a life that can build into the lives of others around us. And yeah, thank you for being such a leader in all of those those spaces that we all walk in and share.
2: Pleasure. I'm very pleased. I found my own path and i'm in the business of helping other people find theirs it's super exciting and rewarding
0: (laughs) Well, thank you gabrielle so what actionable step are you going to take next do you have a lingering question or is there something we can help you work through to figure out and reach your purpose people of purpose is here for you just send us an email or a message on facebook if you want continued inspiration subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our insightful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. And if you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as receive daily inspiration, follow the podcast and journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast or at People of Purpose on Facebook to join our purpose-seeking community. By joining, you will know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose news, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration, I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me to nourish your path to purpose. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please post a review wherever you listen to it. Doing so will not only help us to grow, but will also allow your voice to be heard, and who knows who you could inspire. Cheers, and here's to becoming...